All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast, where we help you connect with the past through food. My name is James, I'm your host, and today is episode 67. Before we dive into today's show, I want to thank you all for finding the show. Make sure you head over to ToastyKettle.com to find more awesome food history, as well as some recipes. So during World War I and World War II, there were serious food shortages in Europe and throughout the world. You know, overnight, a generation of farmers and food producers were called into military service. Their fields and farms became battlefields. The food that was once produced went to feed the soldiers and support the war effort instead of going to the general population. It was a tough time. The U.S. government did, did their part by sending food to their allies and troops overseas. And as a result, they asked citizens to do their part by reducing consumption on a number of different items. Food rationing was in full swing. The government pitched rationing as a heroic thing for the average citizen to do. I have a cookbook from the early 1900s that's one of my favorites, uh, foods that will win the war and how to cook them. And the reason I love it so much is because it it really gives a snapshot into the the what was happening at the time with these food shortages and with the rationing. World War One was in full swing when this cookbook was published in 1918, and the intro shows fruits and veggies in abundance, and it says, this is what God gives us. What are you giving so that others may live? Eat less wheat, meat, fats, sugar, send more to Europe, or they will starve. This book goes on to provide recipes for wheat, meat, fats, and sugars, but it gets creative in the approach, in that instead of making wheat or meat, the star of the recipe, it shows alternatives and ways that you can substitute those out. It also gives an interesting snapshot, again, into the household dietary life of World War I households. In the section on meat, it talks about red meat as meat. <laughs> it recommends scaling back on meat dramatically, so scale back on beef, really. And instead of having red meat twice a day, a household should find other substitutes. It should then... Uh, consume more chicken, more fish, more dairy products, nuts, beans as adequate substitutes and containing protein in the diet. In their section on sugarless desserts, it's apparent that they're speaking of refined granulated sugar when they're talking about sugar. And when I looked at the table of contents and saw that it had a section on sugarless desserts, I was intrigued. I thought, what kind of desserts are there that can possibly be good without sugar and my fears were laid to rest when i saw that everything was sweetened with molasses or drum roll corn syrup <laughs> this cookbook said study attractive ways of serving food plain cheap dishes can be made appetizing if they look attractive on the table and isn't that true you can take something with very simple, humble ingredients and turn it into a five-star dish simply by how it's presented on the plate. This book highlights the reality of war and what we were facing here at home. The truth is people were starving 
throughout the world, but particularly in Europe. America was a land of seemingly endless resources and consumption. The simple ask was to scale back. Change how you're eating and you'll save lives. During this time, the government had many campaigns to highlight the importance of food conservation and helping the public see that by cutting back on these necessities, they were directly contributing to the war effort. And this leads me to the main topic today, Victory Gardens. So what are Victory Gardens? A Victory Garden was a fruit, vegetable, or herb garden that was planted on a private residence or on public parks in the United States, Canada, Australia, and Britain during World War I and World War II. These gardens provided food for the growers and relieved strain on the food supply. The idea was to make produce purchased by the government cheaper because the average citizen wasn't purchasing, so that's going to drop the price, which allowed the government to pay less and use the money saved on other parts of the war effort. It also freed up more in the food supply to send over to those that were struggling with food in Europe and throughout the world. Victory Gardens also had a tremendous morale boost for those who participated. They gave the average citizens something they could do to contribute to the war effort. As a result, they were rewarded with fresh, locally grown produce, as well as feeling good having contributed uh, to the war overseas. During World War II, around one-third of the vegetables produced in the United States were produced by Victory Gardens. That's incredible. Think about that. Over a third <laughs> of the vegetables produced were produced by these humble gardens. By May of 1943, there were 18 million Victory Gardens in the U.S. It's a staggering number. Even the White House got involved. Eleanor Roosevelt planted a victory garden on the White House lawn in 1943. And to be clear, she did not tend the garden. She didn't weed it, water it. She had other people do that. But she still participated. And this garden served as a reminder that it was a patriotic duty to garden. Even though this was pitched as a way for Americans to do their patriotic duty, Many Americans surveyed said they did it for economic reasons. 54% of those that were polled at the time said that they grew the garden for economic reasons. Only 20% mentioned their patriotic duty. Some of the most popular home crops were cabbage, beets, beans, carrots, lettuce, peas, tomatoes, squash, and turnips. So basically everything you might see in a home garden today. The Department of Agriculture was wary of this movement. However, they found a way to casually support the gardening movement by distributing informational pamphlets on basic gardening principles. Now, they were afraid that if everyone participated in this program, that it was going to cause strain on the food industry. It was going to hurt the food industry. These pamphlets they distributed taught the home farmer how to maximize their garden's productivity they taught them how to track the germination period of various seeds, as well as looking out for insects and diseases they, they might encounter with their crop. The goal was to increase their yield year over year and to learn something while doing it. Of the 18 million victory gardens started during World War I and World War II in the United States, only two 
Victory Gardens are still around today. The Fenway Victory Gardens in Boston and the Dowling Community Garden in Minneapolis. Now this year, we've seen a strain on the food system that we haven't seen in a long time because of the pandemic. We all lived through it. Dried food and canned goods became almost impossible to find. I remember walking through grocery stores and experiencing the frustration of empty shelf after empty shelf. And it was kind of creepy, to be honest. This uncertainty at the grocery store sparked another home garden movement. Nurseries and seed catalogs sold out. YouTube videos demonstrating home garden tips quickly became popular. People were embracing the home economy like never before. Social media was full of pictures of people's sourdough starters, their home gardens, the fresh produce that was being grown. And then this fresh produce was being brought into work and distributed freely. Now that the store shelves are restocked and we can all find toilet paper again, it will be interesting to see if these community gardens have any staying power. If people are still going to grow their own food or if this is just a fad of 2020. I guess time will tell. Perhaps the key to life is learning to live better on less. Going back to the cookbook that I read from earlier, that's how I want to close the show today. It says, Of our men, we ask our lives. Of ourselves, a little less food. That's all I have for today's show. I hope you learned something about Victory Gardens and and gained a little snapshot into life during World War I and World War II. I'm going to do another episode on this that does a deeper dive into the food rationing itself. But for right now, give you a snapshot and a tidbit on Victory Gardens. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. It really does help grow the show. And as always, you can check me out online at ToastyKettle.com on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Toasty Kettle. Until next week.